You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so tonight, Bezra Sashem, we're going to be continuing our series of shirim on the world of Ishbitz and Radzin. And the title of tonight's shir is going to be Suffering for Torah or A Torah of Suffering. Now, I am deliberately utilizing this chiasmic title where both the first statement can be replaced with the last statement and the last statement can be replaced with the first statement in the sense that the suffering for the Torah is nothing other than the Torah of suffering. Not to say that if we suffer enough for Torah, then we may come upon or stumble upon the Torah of our own suffering or the suffering of the world, but that for Ishbitz and Radzin, this chiasmic structure where both terms are interchangeable the suffering for the Torah, the suffering that a person experiences in this world, and that we've spoken about from the inception of this series of Shirim, is all for the unique purpose of disclosing that individual's particular Torah of suffering. So that the experience of suffering for the sake of the Torah is in truth the act of writing our own Torah of suffering to the point that the experience of each and every individual, when seen through the lens of Ishbitz and Radzin, becomes part and parcel of their own particular Torah. Now, the shirim that we've had in this series prior to what we're going to be discussing tonight is on a certain level leading us to where we want to speak tonight. That the conception that Ishbitz and Radzin has of human subjectivity, of what it means to be a human being in this world, as we saw in the second shear after the introduction, that at first, as a foundational concept, Ishbitz and Radzin admit to the fact that it is not easy to be a human being. It demands an intensity of the self to participate in what we refer to as life. And that is learned out. The diuk that the tzaddikim of Ishbitz and Radzin make is that Chazal tell us that that it would have been more pleasant, it would have been easier for an individual to not have been born than to be born. Because a natural consequence of being alive in this world means that it's the opposite of Menucha. It means that this world is a world of effort and intensity. But the Ishbitzer Tzadikim, starting with the Meishi Loach and championed by the Beis Yaakov and the Sodi Sharman and the Tfaris Yosef and the future generations of Ishbitz and Radzin, up to and including the generation of the Shoah, the destruction of European Jewry, they all agree that in spite of the fact that Chazal tell us that Noyach Adam Nivra, that yes, it would have been easier or more pleasant not to have been created, but nowhere in Chazal is there an implication that it would have been better. 
And this diuk that, that Ishbitz and Radzin make, the fact that on the one hand it would have been easier, yet on the other hand it would not have been better, leads to this gray space of what it means to live in this world as a human being. That to live in this world means to struggle. To be present in this world, to allow for our subjectivity to take on particular formations so that we can become a mensch, we can become an individual who perceives the world and God's light in this world through our own particular idiom, through our own particular emotional state, that is worth all of the trouble. And then we spoke about how the entrance into this world at the inception of the original transgression is not simply a movement away from clarity into lack of clarity, as if there was the Eitzah Chaim and then there was the Eitzah Das Tov Vira. But for Ishbitz and Radzin, that Eitzah Das, that constitutive experience that forms and shapes and colors all of human experience from the inception of history towards its eventual end, is all marked by something that Ishbitz and Radzin referred to as the Ilana Desveka, the tree of doubt. As if to say that part of the struggle, part of what makes being human so difficult and so intense and what forces the individual to utilize all of their strength and all of their potential to the point of exhaustion in order to simply serve God according to our own hearts and our own minds, that is all a result of the fact that the abiding structure of consciousness, the abiding structure of phenomenological experience within this world is cut through with doubt that things are more doubtful than they are certain. And that to play on the Cartesian conception of what human subjectivity means, I doubt, therefore I am. That the constitutive element of what it means to be a human being is to be caught up within that space of two or more options, and there's no clarity other than the own internal decision that I make. And that every decision that emerges out of the human being is a full expression of my own constitution. As we see in later weeks of the Shirim, that Bechira, or free will, or volitional action for Ishbitz and Radzin, in spite of all of the popularized versions of it, is in truth the linchpin that holds the whole system together, that without free will, the whole system falls apart. And as a result of living in the space of Suffolk, what we're forced to do is we're forced to engage in a world that is at times difficult. We're forced to live with a desire that cannot be satisfied. The reason for this is because the soul, the neshama, as we said, is from such a lofty place that it can't be satisfied by this world. The fact that we're yearning and the fact that we're desiring and the fact that we're left needing to intensify our experiences and suffer in this world is not because we're not good enough. Is not because we haven't lived up to some ideal, but rather that is part and parcel of what it means to be a human being. That the neshama comes from a place so lofty that there's nothing in this world that can satisfy it. So that no matter what we experience, no matter how high our conception of godliness comes, we have to always recognize that at the end of the day, sof davar hakol neshma, tachlis hayadiyah shaloneidah. That the apex of knowledge is that a person must come to a place where they recognize that everything that I have known is still trapped within that self-same process of faith because I can question everything I know. And it's specifically in those questions that Ishbitz and Radzin see the fundamental experience of the soul, the questions that are born out of struggle. And so the question that we want to address tonight is what is the purpose of all of this? 
yes, it's nice to talk about doubt as a fundamental concept of humanity, especially from a postmodern lens or post-postmodern lens. Yes, it's nice to place questioning at the apex of spiritual experience as opposed to answers because that lends credence to the fact that a human being must search deeper than what they've been taught. Yes, it's fundamentally important for us to recognize that the struggle and the suffering is part and parcel of the religious experience and not some deviation from the norm. But at the end of the day, we must ask the question of what is the purpose of all of this? Is it simply to be human? Or is there something more inherent within the process for Ishbitz and Radzin that allows there to be a benefit of being alive? More than the intensity that it demands to be alive, what is the purpose of being alive? And the answer for Ishbitz and Radzin is clear. The clarity of this answer, however, is difficult to point to, and I'm going to explain why that is. Most of the shirim that we've discussed up until this point are thematic concepts that run through the writings of Ishbitz and Radzin throughout the generations. The concept of suffering for the Torah in order to disclose a Torah of suffering, or the concept of divrei Torah in general, it's not discussed explicitly in the writings of Ishbitz and Radzin, but you're never far from the concept itself. From the outset, from the Torahs on Bereshith, in the Meshiloach, through the Beis Yaakov, through the Sodi Sharm, and through the Tferes Yosef, it's axiomatic that the human experience is synonymous with the concept of divrei Torah, of learning Torah. Now, divrei Torah here needs to undergo a certain deconstruction of terms in the Deridian sense, because when we think about divrei Torah, what we think is vortlach, that a person has a nice, cute idea that serves the purpose of inspiring those who are sitting around the table or who are sitting in an audience. And because of that cheapening of divrei Torah, not to, heaven forbid, detract from the value of an inspiring word or a thought of Torah, but because we cheapen the concept of divrei Torah to the extent that it becomes a culture of vortlach, of small ideas that a person tastes some momentary inspiration and then loses it, the concept or the words divrei Torah lose a lot of their power. But when a person learns the writings of Ishbitz and Radzin, a person sees that the conception of divrei Torah is synonymous with human subjectivity. That to experience life, to experience the events of life, with all of the vicissitudes of what it means to be alive, with the doubts and the certainty, with the tzabrachenkeit and the melancholy as well as the joy, with the attachments that allow us to feel healthy about ourselves and the attachments that leave us feeling sick about ourselves, with the hopes towards goals that we would like to acquire, and the hopelessness that abides within us that tells us that we have not yet acquired and we will never acquire what we want to acquire. All of those human emotions, all of those modalities or phenomenological lenses through which the individual lives their lives on a daily basis, a million times a day, as Rabbi Nachman would tell us, all of that is contained within the rubric of what Ishbitz and Radzin refers to as Divrei Torah that to learn Torah, to be osik in divrei Torah, to find words of Torah in life for Ishbetz and Radzin, that is to experience life. That yes, for Ishbetz and Radzin, there is a particular mitzvah of learning Torah. And there is the conception of learning Torah for the sake of teaching Torah. 
But at the end of the day, there's a secondary conception of Torah in the teachings of Ishbetz and Radzin, which sees Torah as the foundation, as the bedrock upon which all of human experience is born. So that moving away from the particularized aspect of learning Torah, the most general, abstract, and collective experience of what it means to be a human being is to be oisik b'divrei Torah. That all of our experiences, the moments that we experience in this world, from the moment that we wake up very often too early to the moment that we go to bed very often too late, and all of the traffic jams and the frustrations and the difficult emotions that are elicited through interactions with other people from our loved ones, from strangers, all of our hopes and our loss of hope, all of that is contained within what we refer to in the world of Ishbitz and Radzin as Divrei Torah. The Ishbitzer and the Radziner Tzadikim don't describe this Mahalach. They don't describe exactly what Divrei Torah means, but in nearly every Parsha, in nearly every Moed, in nearly every Chodesh that is discussed in the writings of Ishbitz and Radzin, there is an underlying theme there is an underlying concept of the fact that all of human life is referred to as divrei Torah, that being alive is our engagement with the concept of Torah in its loftiest sense. That Torah doesn't simply mean a book of instruction. That Torah doesn't simply mean concepts or philosophical speculations or vortlach or even halachos, but rather Torah is the ontological climate in which human beings experience life. That is stakil ba'araisa bara alma. That a Kaddish Baruch who looked into the Torah, so to speak, the primordial Torah that pre-existed existence itself, a concept that we will hopefully discuss in a future series of Shirim when we're zochet to touch upon the world of Rav Yisrael Sarug and the Olam HaMalbush and the conception of what lies beyond the Arizal's teachings in Kabbalah that we're going to see that Torah is the bedrock of existence. Torah is not something that exists within existence, but Torah is what gives birth to existence. And this is clear in the writings of the Rashash, when Rabbi Nachman touches upon this, and the Baal Shem Tov, and the Sefer Chabad, as well as the Vilna Gon, all agree to this concept, and the Emek HaMelech, Rav Naftali Bacharach, all of our Mekubalim, all of our Tzadikim have agreed to the deep conception that Torah beyond its conceptual nature as an object of learning and attention in this world, is also the foundational bedrock upon which this world exists. For Ishbitz and Radzin, all of our experiences are experiences of Divrei Torah. So the question that we began with, which is, after all is said and done, after we have allowed ourselves to live with the concept of suffix, of doubt, of struggle, of questions that live above and beyond answers. What is the fundamental purpose that draws all of this together? The answer for Ishbetz and Radzin is going to be Divrei Torah, engaging in words of Torah. Now the Sod Yesharim writes something in his parish on the Zohar HaKadosh in Tefaris HaChanochi. And Bezos Hashem, I'll post this teaching afterwards because I don't have the Sefer in front of me. But the Soyed Yesharim of Gersh and Hanukkah Radzin said something remarkable. It's one of my favorite teachings. The Soyed Yesharim says that each and every individual has a particular os in the Torah. Now the fact that each and every subject, each and every conscious form of psychological engagement with 
reality has its own particular letter in the Torah is an idea that precedes Ishbitz and Radzin by millennia. But there is a particular nuance that is expressed in the writings of Rav Gershon Hanuch, of Radzin particularly, that allows us to see this as an opening to the sugya. That Rav Gershon Hanuch writes as follows, he says, every individual has their own particular nekuda in Torah. Each and every person has one thing, one idea, one contribution to what it means to be a human being in this world, or more significantly, to be a Jew in this world, that only they can convey to the world. Whether or not they have the audience for it doesn't make a difference. Each and every person lives their lives through their own particular oath, through their own particular idiom of Torah. And Rav Gershon Hanach continues and he says that the entirety of the Torah, all ideas that a person encounters, all svarim, may svarim shonim that a person learns, all of the different philosophical speculations and vortlach and shiurim that a person experiences, all defense mechanisms that we use to live healthily in our lives, all of those are simply the reflection of our own particular os in Torah. Nobody else can share my own os in Torah, and I can't share anybody else's os in Torah. That each person has their own particular lane through which they express their own particular idiom of what it means to be alive, and that aliveness that that particular subject, that particular neshama discloses, is their os in the Torah. And Rav Gershon Henach adds a fundamental, almost ontological reason for this. He says, the fact that a person finds themselves in a particular space in the Torah is symptomatic of the fact that their shorash neshama is in that place. That where one finds themselves, there they are. That the divrei Torah that speak to us, the ideas that we utilize to be mitmodeid with this worldliness and all of its sveikos and all of its questions and all of its difficulty and all of its intensity, the ideas that we use to secure the wounds that we experience as a result of being human, the ideas that settle our minds when we're uncomfortable and anxious, the ideas that give us hope after we've fallen and after we've lost hope, that is symptomatic of our Shorash HaNeshama. So it's not simply that we're attracted to particular ideas in Torah, but rather the ideas that we're attracted to are disclosive of our Shorash HaNeshama that where I find myself in the Torah is in truth the ontological origin of my neshama, so that everything that I learn, everything I see becomes a derech, a way, a particular path for me to find Hashem, to find the Torah in my own particular life. And the question that the Sod Yasharim discusses in this teaching is, what is the purpose of the rest of the Torah then? If each and every person has their own particular concept, their own particular osin Torah, what about every other part of Torah? And the Saudi Sharm says something remarkable. He says that every other part of Torah that seems to be secondary and symptomatic of a person's Shoresh Anashama is in truth different ways of iterating their own particular truth. That what we experience, our experiential, our phenomenological livedness, our reactions to our experiences, our defense mechanisms, the joys and the hopes that we live with 
are all part and parcel of our Nakuda and Torah, our personal Torah. And the world of Ishbetz and Radzin forces us to really understand what it means to write our own Torah. That to return back to the title of this year, the suffering that an individual engages in this world for the sake of the Torah, for the sake of finding HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is in truth disclosive of our own particular Torah of suffering. That what we go through in this world, from the beginning to the end, from the light to the darkness, from the up to the down, from the hope to the hopelessness, from the joy to the sadness, from the hopefulness to the despondency of the spirit, from the mitzvah slosase to the mitzvah slosase. The fact that, as we discussed last week, that there are particular holes or knots within the concept of free will that forces us into areas that we don't often want to find ourselves in, all of that falls under the rubric of our own particular Torah of suffering. That a person can choose to see their lives as one long process of writing their own particular Torah, that at the end of their lives, when they're asked by the Pamalya Shamala, in the lofty celestial judgment chamber, kavita itim la Torah, have you given over your time to Torah? Have you offered of yourself to the Torah? Instead of thinking, have I learned enough? Have I spent enough time learning? A person can choose to see through the lens of Ishbitz and Radzin that we can always already answer in the affirmative because our entire lives were lives of Torah. Even the times where we felt we were moving against the Torah. Even the times where we didn't even conceive that there was an existence of a Torah. All of that is found within our own particular Torah. Now, when we talk about suffering, when we talk about the struggle of being human, when we talk about the fact that for Ishbitz and Radzin is axiomatic that that it would have been easier and more pleasant for a person to not have been born than to be born. It's very important that I clarify my statements. Now, Chazal have a unique and fundamentally significant conception of suffering that is not only significant to those who are interested in Torah, but it's something that I personally, in my own clinical experience of being a therapist, have utilized to teach to other people as well who have absolutely no connection to the world of Torah. That the conception, the rabbinic conception of suffering as described in the Talmud is that when a person, for example, desires to find money for a vending machine and they expect to find the dollar in their pocket and they put their hands into their pocket and they only find 98 cents, that is enough for a person to assume that they have experienced suffering. That suffering is not measured by the intensity or the ferocity of the suffering experience, but rather each and every individual, according to their own relative situatedness in this world, experiences moments of suffering. Now for one person, something might be considered suffering, and for another person, based on their privilege and their upbringing and their socioeconomic status, may be considered pleasure. That one man's suffering is another man's Ganeiden, and one man's Ganeiden is another one's suffering. But when we speak about the world of suffering, when we speak about the necessity of engaging difficulty in this world, 
I want to make it abundantly clear, and this is true really from the outset of the Reish Milin Shirim, and it is going to continue for all of the Shirim Be'ezra Hashem that I'm capable of giving in my life, that when we talk about suffering and when we talk about difficulty, it's not a question of quantity. It's not a question of some sort of masochistic need to suffer in this world through pain, but rather each and every individual, according to their own heart, kol chad lefum shiura delay, understands what their own particular mode of suffering might be. And so that to experience a Torah of suffering and to live one's life as writing their own Torah of Yisurin, of suffering, of, of savlanut, of struggle, doesn't mean that a person has to lose anything. Lo alenu doesn't mean that a person has to suffer any particular symptom of a medical illness or a psychiatric illness. But it simply means that when a person is willing to pay attention to their own lives, they will always already come in contact with pockets in their lives where they experience intensity, where things are more intense than we naturally experience, and that is considered suffering. So for Ishbitz and Radzin, to live a life of Torah is also to live a life of suffering, to write a Torah of suffering. And we're going to look at various sources. Now again, this is a shear that we could have drawn from hundreds of sources, but for the sake of delivering a shear, we're going to look at particular sources. Particular sources that describe this concept of a Torah of suffering that the individual's life and the sveikos and the she'elos and the questions and the doubts that animate life are all for the purpose of writing our own particular Torah. Suffering for the Torah for the sake of disclosing our own particular Torah of suffering. Before we look at the svarim, before we look at the particular makoros, it's important to note, and this is already pointed out in the Sod Yesharim by Rav Gershon Henech in his Psicha and Hakdama Lebes Yaakov, Yusayid HaChasidus, which is a sefer that has been fundamental to the series of Shirim so far, is that historically speaking, the Ishbits or the Meishiloach, or Mordechai Yosef Liner of Ishbits, experienced this concept in his own formation of Divrei Torah. That when you look at the writings of the Sod Yisharim in particular, he describes the lifetime of his grandfather as a lifetime of suffering. That the Meishiloach famously needed to sit upon his kalim needed to sit for a number of years, for up to 12 years, under the auspices of the Katskarebi, a sugya that we haven't touched upon and we're not going to touch upon in this series of shirin. A koidah shakadashim sugya. A sugya about the difference of opinion between the Meshiloach and his Rebbe, the Katskarebi. But suffice it to say that according to the realm of the family of Ishbitz and Radzin, we're not talking about Rav Tzadak HaKohen Melablin or Rav Label Eger right now, but according to the family, the dynasty that describes the process of the Torah of Ishbitz and Radzin, the time that he spent on the Katsgarebbe was a time that was described in the Saudi Sharim, similar to David HaMelech sitting in Ma'aras Adulim. When David HaMelech was hidden and forced to suffer away from Shaul because he was afraid of being killed. That the Saudi Sharm is basically saying that the entirety of the Meshiloach Mahalach in Torah is born out of suffering. And this is explicit as well in the Hakdama and the Haskamos that are written to the Sefer Meshiloach. 
So this historical suffering that gave birth to the Torah of Ishbitz and Radzin is also the fundamental message that the Torah of Ishbitz and Radzin is coming to teach us. Now, we're going to begin with a teaching from the Soed Yesharim in Hoshana Rabbah. Now, this is the Soed Yesharim on Moadim. And in the section of Hoshana Rabbah, this is going to be the ninth teaching. This is a discussion about what happens on Hoshana Rabbah, a teaching about Davina Melech, based on the Gemara and Mesecha Sukkah, that at the time of the Simchas Beis HaShoeva, at the time of the deepest joy of the Jewish people, Davara Melech was engaged in different processes. That Chazal tell us that existence, reality, being, our lives, in spite of the fact that they so often seem certain and secured, in truth stand upon nothingness. Toila Eretz Abelima like we're going to daven on the Yom Noraim, that at the end of the day, the entirety of existence is held upon nothingness. And that the difference between nothing and something, or being and nothingness, is but a hair's breadth. And underneath, rumbling and murmuring and informing and constituting our experience of what it means to be human being, is an abysmal void is the emptiness, is the halal ha-panui upon which HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kavyachol built existence. The emptiness that precedes presence, like we discussed in the writings of Rav Kook and the Leshem Shubayi V'achaloyma, Shusam Yagin Aleinu. And that comes the Beis HaShoeva as we draw the waters from beneath, as we draw upon those abysmal depths with constitute and secure reality. What we come in contact with is the confrontation of the fact that being is constituted and formed by nothingness. That by the Beis HaShoeva, we come in contact with the home, with those abysmal depths, with those unconscious pockets of what it means to be a human being or what it means to exist in reality that always already threaten the presence of calmness. That even when things feel most secure, the Jewish individual as depicted in Chazal's depiction of David HaMelech, the paradigm of Malchus, the paradigm of that individual who is deeply aware at every moment that he has nothing of his own. And because he has nothing of his own, because because of the fact that he was a Neufel, because of the fact that he was never meant to be born, that is what gives David HaMelech the ability to say, that my entire existence is one of prayer. Because it's only the person who recognizes their fundamental and constitutive lack, like we said, who is capable of prayer. And it's David HaMelech, the paradigm or the archetype of lack, the archetype of what it means to be a human being in this world. And that deep awareness that the abysmal depths are constantly and perpetually murmuring under the foundations that we rest all of our edifices of knowledge and constructs upon, it's only David HaMelech who is so deeply aware of the fact that everything can change in an instant. It's only David HaMelech who could say, Va'ani tefila. And the Sodya Sharm continues and he says as follows, Inyin to whom? What is the concept of the abyss or the depths? Hu shehistir Hashem yisparach or hayakar biyoter el makomos harachokim ma'od. That if a person wants to 
understand the deepest secrets that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has hidden in this world, it is specifically in those places that are most difficult. It is specifically in those places where a person feels that God is most absent, that a person has the capacity to disclose the deepest presence of God. It is specifically in those places that appear to be devoid of the animating light of godliness and unity, specifically in the multiplicity that abides and confounds and confuses human consciousness on a daily level to the point of existential depravity. It's specifically there that a person is capable of disclosing the deepest depths of Divrei Torah. That this deep light, this profound and blinding light, this bright light that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has hidden, from the original will, from that original unconscious desire that Hashem had to create us, even prior to the emergence of the worlds, it's specifically in those points where a person is so bothered by the existential questioning of how is it possible that there is a God in this world? How is it possible that there can be some modicum of significance in this world? It's specifically in those places that a person is most bothered, bothered by these existential queries that keep a person up at night, kipshuto kimashmao, it's specifically there that a person can find the deepest light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because that's where Hashem hid the deepest light. It's specifically at those places where a person asks themselves, is it something or is it nothing? Is it real or is it fake? Is the Torah true or is the Torah false? We're not talking about the particular kfiros of each and every individual in their own vicissitudes of life but we're talking about the big questions that assault the person when they're davening Shemona Esrei. Is it real or is it not real? Is it dark or is it light? Is there a purpose to this or is it all purposeless? The Meishiloach and the Beis Yaakov and the Sodi Sharm say that it's specifically in those places that we have the capacity of disclosing the deepest truths, and that's what's referred to, says the Sodi Sharm, as Tehom. De'itamar al-masikun de'tehoima. Like the Zohar says that Davon HaMelech was questioned about the matters of the abyss, of the depths. And the Sodi Sham continues and he says it's specifically Davon HaMelech. It's specifically this impoverished, suffering individual who is capable of disclosing the truth of godliness as it abides within the Tehom itself. That it's specifically this spiritual archetypal model of David Malka Mashicha, of this decrepit, destitute neshama that has nothing of its own, that suffers in this world, that struggles with clarity in this world, it's specifically he who is capable of revealing that within the deepest depths of the abyss, there abides the deepest and most powerful and potent expression of light, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's unity. And this, says the Sod Yisharim, is why David HaMelech was referred to as Barnafle, 
as a stillborn, as someone who has never truly been born. L'chein haya b'kayach avodaso. David HaMelech contained within his ability, l'vkoya kol ha-machasim, u'lemaske to break through all of the partitions and all of the concealment and all of the suffering and to reveal the power that abides within the depths. Ulagalus me omekahester and to disclose specifically from the depths of concealment as or hayakar hatsafun veganasham, to disclose the deep light that is concealed there. Ulachay nikra davar amelach barnafle. And that's the reason that Davin Amelach is referred to as an individual who has fallen, as an individual who had no standing, who had nothing to stand upon, who doubted foundations, who doubted stability. like the Zohar says, And for that particular reason, Mashiach is referred to as Barnafle. Because redemption and salvation and Yeshuos in the world of Ishbitz and Radzin are born out of the loss of hope and salvation, that it's specifically through the sveikos and through the difficulties of what it means to be a mensch in this world, of what it means to be an Ovid Hashem in a world where doubt occludes clarity and questions occlude answers, it's specifically there that Mashiach Tzaitin, where Mashiach is born. And skipping a few lines, the Sod Sharm continues and he says, To engage in Divrei Torah in this place, to find the words of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this place, in that world of suffolk and in that world of concealment, is to show that even in the darkest depths of our minds, in the darkest depths of our experiences, where Divrei Torah seem to be the last thing that we're trying to experience, in the traffic jams of our lives, in the makomos of busha, of embarrassment and shame in our lives, at those times where we feel stuck in the abysmal depths of hopelessness, in the times where a person feels that they're beyond the realm of what a Kaddish Baruch is willing to accept, when a person feels that if we stand in the face of judgment, coming to say, I'm sorry, coming to apologize, coming to ask for forgiveness, that we're cast away and thrown away, to a time of oldness, it's specifically there that we have the ability to disclose our own Divrei Torah. And those are the Divrei Torah of Davin Malka Mashiach. Those are the Divrei Torah that save a person from certain death in this world, from the psychological depth of hopelessness. Now, we're going to look at another teaching from the Sod Yisharim. And this is going to be in a different Sefer on the Moadim. This is going to be the Chelek of Purim and Pesach. And in the teachings of Shalashudash, for Cholamoed Shechalios B'Shabbos, on Cholamoed of Shabbos Pesach, the Sod Yesharim, echoing the teachings of his father and his grandfather, asks the question of why is it come Pesach time that what we need to discuss and what we need to learn and what we read in the Haftarah is about the Atzmos HaYeveshos, those dried bones which are rejuvenated with life the conception of Tchiyas HaMesim. And to give a summary of this teaching before we look at it inside, for the sake of contextualization, what the Sodi Sharm is going to say is as follows, that somebody who denies Tchiyas HaMesim in Torah, someone who denies the fact that the rejuvenation of the dead is explicit as well as implicit within the Torah itself, 
is considered a kaifer, is considered a heretic. Now the Saudi Sharm has a remarkable diuk. The typical way to understand this is that somebody who learns Torah and denies the fact that there is such a concept, a philosophical concept as the Rambam would describe it, of Trias Amesim, that person is a koifer. So ha koifer minha that somebody who denies that triasamesim is explicit within the Torah is considered a heretic. But the Soyd Yisharim has a different reading. When Chazal say that somebody who denies triasamesim is from the Torah, it doesn't mean that a person denies that it can be learned out from the Torah or that it's explicit in the teachings of the Torah, but rather, if a person denies that the reality of Tchiyasamesim can be learned out from their own particular Torah, from the own particular Torah of suffering that they're writing throughout their lives, that is considered a koifer. That it's specifically in the Torah that we learn, in our own engagement with Divrei Torah, in our own experiences in this world, where it becomes abundantly clear that the conception of Tchiyasamesim takes place. So the Sodi Sharm is saying it's not a fundamental philosophical axiom that must be learned out from the laws or philosophy of Torah. That's also true according to the Rambam and according to our Rishonim. But the Chiddush of the Sodi Sharm is saying our own experience of Divrei Torah in this world. What it means to be Omed al-Divrei Torah, what it means to stand upon words of Torah, is contingent and dependent upon our own experiences, that our own experiences scream to the fact that there is a concept of of a rejuvenation of the dead. Now the rejuvenation of the dead, and this is something that we described in the series of Shiram on the Leshem as well, doesn't simply mean that those who have passed away will come back to life, something that we believe in with an abiding faith, but that death is relative. Like the Vilna Gon writes, based on the Zohar and the Ijaraba, and he expresses this in his parish on Safra in numerous places, that even death is a relative concept. That death doesn't simply mean biological or anatomical death, but that death is any degradation, any movement away from our position in which we find ourselves, and then we suddenly find ourselves at a loss of hope that the loss of hope is enough to be considered as having died. That death is not some fundamental static concept, but rather death is a dynamic concept and a person can die a thousand times a day and a person can be reborn a thousand times a day. So that death and and the rejuvenation of death in Ishbitz and Radzin doesn't simply mean the dead coming back alive at some eschatological future point of where prophecy comes true, but rather Rejuvenation of death happens at every moment. It's a perpetual process, something that the Leshem Shabbat Achalayim Asklusi describes explicitly and that Rav Kook builds most of his system upon. That Tchiyas HaMesim in a Torah means, how do I know from the Torah itself that all that I think is lost, and all of those places where I feel I struggle, and all of those places that I lose hope, how do I know that none of that is wasteful? How do I know that even when I experience the vicissitudes of what it means to be a human being, the svekos, the doubts, the lacks, and all of those things of which we've discussed until now, which constitute the system of Ishbitz and Radzin, how do I know that all of those hither side experiences, all of those things that are particularly and typically considered to be negative, 
how do I know that all of those things are not only positive, but that they build my fundamental constitution as a subject who is serving God in this world? And the Sodi Sharm is going to teach, based on a Gemara in Sanhedrin, that says as follows, that La'asid Lavo, that in the future, those who are rejuvenated, the dead who come back to life, are not going to be created in a perfect way, are not going to be recreated in a way where there's no semblance or no relationship with the struggles that a person had gone through, but rather Chazal tell us that each and every individual will be born again, will emerge again in the act of with the blemishes that they experienced in this world. That I die a million times a day. And when I'm reborn, I don't forget about the difficulty or the struggle, but rather I am reborn and I emerge once again with a deep awareness of that struggle and a realization that it is that struggle specifically that has given me the ability to manifest myself once again. That it's specifically the struggle that I go through that animates my capacity to move forward. And that the Lashon of Chazal is explicit here. It says, why is it that each and every person who is reborn will be reborn with their same blemishes? It's for the sake of identifying that particular subject. Had there been a gap, had there been a split between my own failures and the redemption that I experience afterwards as I move away from that failure, I might think that my failure and my redemption are disconnected from one another. But the fact, according to the Saudi Sharm, based on Chazal, that I am born with those same blemishes means that the continuity of my experience, my capacity to get up once again, is not separate and apart from my failures, but it is built upon my failures in the past. That Ein Adam Omer al-Divrei Torah, Ela Imkem Nichshobahem, like the Gemara says in Gitin. That a person cannot stand upon the words of Torah unless they have fallen in them. And it's specifically this birth this rejuvenation, this renewal that we have within ourselves, with that mark and the scar of our struggle, of our doubts and our processes that are difficult, that make us claim that it's specifically that which is going to give birth to our newfound consciousness. Like the Zohar says, that which was will be. That which I struggled with will still be part of my rejuvenation and my new experience. And the Soyd Yisharim says as follows, and this is going to be in Shalashudah that each person will be able to identify themselves based on their previous conception of themselves and the self-doubt and the struggle and the anxiety that abided within my consciousness prior will be the animating factor in my renewed and redeemed experience. Because the Torah that I was learning beforehand and the Torah that I was writing through my life beforehand, that Torah itself with all of my failures and all of my difficulties will be what gives me life. 
To the extent that a person, when they're reborn, when they're renewed each and every day, a thousand times a day, they will be filled with all of the memory and all of the deep experiences of the failures that we've had in the past. And that doesn't take away from the joy of being renewed, but rather that constitutes the capacity to be renewed. That's what gives birth to the ability to be renewed. Because ein adam omid al Torah, a person cannot understand divrei Torah except if they have fallen in it already. A concept that becomes an explicit foundation in the writings of Rav Sadok, and it finds its expression through there in the writings of Rav Hutner. And we're going to see a teaching in the Sodi Sharm as well, and Rav Moshe Shapiro's who utilized the Sugya countless times. What I want to look at right now to draw everything together is the teaching from the Meshilawach. One of my favorite teachings from the Meshilawach, and this is in Chelek Aleph. In Chelek Aleph, the Meshilawach writes as follows in Parshas Metzora, in the first teaching in Parshas Metzora, that this is the teaching of the leper. This is the teaching of the individual who is punished as a result of Lashon Hara. As the person who is punished with leprosy of Tsaras because they spoke Lashon Hara. The Meshiloach says as follows. Ksiv, the Pasuk in Yirmiya says, V'im If a person is capable of disclosing grandeur from within dirtiness, if a person has the capacity of revealing light from within darkness, Now this concept of yakar mizolel is a concept that already in the writings of the Arizal as well as the Balshem Tov HaKadosh and the Gra and the Ramchal and the Rashash and all of the different iterations of the teachings of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is a descriptive teaching about our ability to draw light out of darkness. That zolel cheapened experiences, experiences of garbage, things in our lives that we wish didn't happen, it's specifically there that we have the capacity of drawing out yakar, valuable ideas, significant ideas. And the Meishi Lach says as follows, Indian Lashon Kapi, what does it mean, this Lashon of Kafi, which also means like the mouth? The Meishi Lach says, this hints towards Divrei Torah, towards the Torah that a person discloses through their lives, the Torah that a person chooses to teach with their lives. Like the Pasuk in Devarayaman refers to Devar Torah as Mishpatei Pihu, as the laws of the mouth. And the Meishi Loach continues and he says, and this is what it means for a person to draw beauty out of that which is cheapened and that which is dirty. That if a person can clarify the deep source of lack in their lives that exists and abides within them, and are they capable of drawing out something beautiful, then their experience becomes Torah. If we're capable of looking at the difficulty of what it means to be human through our own particular subjective idiom and our own particular chisaron and the limits of our own bechira, then our lives become Torah. That the words that come out of my mouth, that come out of my experiences, whether or not it has anything to do with holiness or non-holiness, they're all considered divrei Torah, words of Torah. And this is what the Pasuk is hinting to when it says, this is the Torah of the Mitzorah. This is the Torah of the leper. Zos, this, 
The Mishiloach says a fundamental, almost critical theory here. When we say this, it doesn't mean something other, but it means the same thing that we were talking about previously. It's the same thing that we're talking about now. That the struggle itself is the Torah. Not that the struggle leads to Torah like we spoke about in the, in the introduction, but rather that the, the struggle itself is the Torah of the individual. There's a simultaneity at play. That my own experience becomes divrei Torah, whether or not I'm consciousness of it or not that all of my experiences divrei Torah, the fact that originally I felt that I had no connection to divrei Torah, this itself will be revealed retroactively to have been Torah. And he continues and he states in the name of the Gemara, something remarkable. And it's not, it's a Gemara, but it's also in Vayikarabah, Parshas, Tes, Zion, Amad Beis. Maisa Barochal Echad. There was a Misa with a seller, a Rochel, who walked around town screaming out, Man Baichai, Man Baichai, who wants life? Who wants life? And the Rabbanim would run to this Rochel, to this individual who was selling or peddler of, de- of goods, and they would say, We want life. And he would point to the Pasuk and tell him that says, Mi that if you want to understand what life is, if you want to benefit from life in this world, then shut your mouth. Then don't speak negatively about other people. So the Saudi Yasharim and the Meshiloach and the Beis Yaakov and the Meshiloach here in Parshas Mitzorah ask a fundamental question. Who is this Reichel? Who is this individual that comes along and says, who wants life? Who wants life? If you want life, it means not speaking Lashon Hara. Rechilus means Lashon Hara. Reichel is meloshon rechilus. It is specifically the individual that has struggled so much with rechilus, that has suffered and lived within the fallen state of being an individual who peddles the speaking about of other people. It's specifically that individual who is capable of teaching this Torah. Because the struggle of that Reichel, the struggle of that person who struggled with Lashon Hara and Rechilas. It's specifically they who are able to, to disclose the deep teachings of Man Baichai, Man Baichai. Because Ein Adam Oimed Torah Because a person can never come upon their own particular source of Torah unless they suffer for it, unless they move through their lives, through the vicissitudes of being alive, to disclose their Torah. That the entirety of a person's lifetime is their own particular Osin Torah. As the Saudi Sharm likes to quote so often, and Rav Moshe Shapiro likes to quote this as well, the Gemara in Megillah Daf Yuzbeis says as follows: Bina miklal ta'a. That when Atana says, "I understand," the implication is that they made a mistake originally. That for the world of Ishbitz and Radzin, all of the difficulty of what it means to be alive is for each and every one of us to come and teach our own particular Torah of suffering to show how even in the darkness itself, even in a world that appears to be devoid of the annihilating and animating light of Ein Sofiut, of infinitude, specifically there we get to write Chidushin. It's specifically how we contemplate a world of pain, how we deal with suffering, how we deal with Sveikos, that brings Chidushin to Divrei Torah. Because each and every one of us has the ability to teach somebody else or to teach the world how to confront what it means to live in a world that appears to be devoid of the light of Hashem, because that place of the Tahom, 
that place where the light of Hashem is most concealed is also the place that bespeaks the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu the most. Next, not next week, probably in two weeks, because next week is Rosh Hashanah Bezras Hashem. In two weeks, Bezras Hashem, what we're going to speak about is how this plays into the Meshiloach and the Sodisharim's conception of femininity the feminine principle that abides within everything in this world to show how everything that we conceive as being lower is in truth rooted in a higher place, which will eventually lead us to the last year on the series of Ishbits, which will be discussing the concept of Tcheles and the Sod Yasharim's obsession with renewing the mitzvah of Tcheles, of the blue thread, of a thin blue thread that exists amongst the whiteness of this world. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.